0: Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 5, The Kings, the human ones. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, brace yourself for a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. The first human king of Israel, Saul, with whom precedent is being set for all the kings that follow, certainly has no margin of error when it comes to listening to and following my directions. He's got to take my commands seriously enough to fully obey them. So when I decide it's time to deal with the Amalekites in the South through Saul and his forces, and when I give him detailed direction on how to do so, he had better pay attention to those details. Well, you guessed it. He doesn't. I tell Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. First Samuel 15 narrates the whole debacle. This isn't a strategic exercise designed to hamper their ability to run raids across the border, although there certainly will be no more raids from Amalek after this. It is a day of reckoning for what they did to the children of Israel as they were coming up from Egypt. Refresh your memory at Deuteronomy 25:17. Israel's military is now of sufficient strength to act in this regard, and the time of judgment has come. I trust you'll recall our protracted discussion of habitat-driven sensibilities surrounding the times I command total destruction like this. In earlier episodes, Saul almost pulls it off. He very nearly eradicates the Amalekites from the face of the earth, except for a few ends he intentionally leaves loose. And he means, well, again, he does. From his point of view, he's got good reasons for sparing the choicest of the sheep and cattle so they can be sacrificed to me. However, their military obliteration would have served the same sacrificial function in a much better way as the form of extinguishing sacrifice I had commanded. Of course, in Saul's improvisation, the soldiers get to eat some of that barbecued Amalekite Angus, but make that grilled for you purists. Oh, Saul's got good reasons for sparing Agag, the Amalekite king. For one, A dead king doesn't make much of a trophy. You can't walk him around in front of people and show him off, or anything. After all, Saul didn't get to bring nasty Nahash home as a trophy after that first victory up in Jabesh-Gilead. Now, this may not be Saul's reason for retaining Agag, but one of Saul's first actions after getting back from the battle is to erect a monument in his own honor judge for yourself, but whatever Saul's motivation for sparing Agag and the best of the livestock is, I'd commanded very clearly otherwise. The new king has doubly disqualified himself, first having impatiently offered a sacrifice he had no business making before the Philistine battle, and then completely improvising his own Amalekite outcome instead of the one we had very clearly required. There's no almost to obedience, especially if you are the king. Either you're obedient or you're not. This raises again the whole meta-theme of holiness in our story, and one of the purposes behind the entire Abra plan. To get humans to a truly, fully holy, note the intentional redundancy as there's no such thing as partially holy. A fully holy state, so that we can finally be face to face in fulfillment of the greatest potential of our relationship and existence Deus a mano et womano. It feels like that's all still a long ways off, though, when the first king of my chosen people can't seem to follow a very simple order from me. So Samuel gives Saul notice that his kingdom will be cut short, and in his chastisement of the king, Samuel lays out a concept that should be well heard in all habitats. Truly listening to and obeying me are more important than religious activity. Disobedience and pride are as bad as worshiping idols. That's another rewind and listen to it again sentence. But since you didn't, the part that matters is this. Truly listening to and obeying me are more important than religious activity. Disobedience and pride are as bad as worshiping idols. You want to make me happy? Listen and obey. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church, friend, but how you live your life from day to day is exponentially more important than how many songs you sing at me over the weekend. If you bring Samuel's concept, or actually it's mine, closer to home, I don't much care how many times you call me Lord if you're not trying to live like I am Lord. In the end, we learn that Saul's motivation was not so pious after all, in terms of saving the livestock for sacrifice. He confesses to Samuel that he was afraid of his men, who were chapped that there'd be no booty or plunder from their victory. This way, in the very least, they'd get some steak out of it. Appetite. It's always appetite of one kind or another with these people. Well, now that we've announced Saul's very early retirement, it's time to get his successor lined up. It's not going to be Saul's son, Jonathan, even though he's shown himself to be a man of faith and mettle. Jonathan very well might have been the next king, and a good one to boot, had Saul obeyed me. But the king's disobedience has closed his line, yet another consequence of Saul's failure. However, Jonathan's gifts will not go entirely unused. First, though, let us find the next king. Whereas Saul, the future king, had come on a donkey hunt to find Samuel, this time around I send Samuel on a future king hunt down to the town of Bethlehem. It's got to be covert because Saul wouldn't take kindly to so quick an operation purposed to his removal. Samuel fills his horn with anointing oil for his true mission, but travels with a heifer so his cover can be that he's on his way to make a sacrifice in Bethlehem. Call it a pastoral visit, if you will. A believable cover story has to be in place, though, since Samuel's traveling through Ramah, through Saul's hometown of Gibeah, south to Bethlehem, where one Jesse lives with his eight sons, one of whom is a fellow after my own heart, whom I've chosen to replace Saul. Customarily, at this time, in this habitat, town elders gather at the town gate after breakfast and the city walls have benches built into them for such a purpose. Samuel arrives at Bethlehem well after breakfast, and its elders see the great prophet headed their way. They nervously walk out to meet him. The unscheduled arrival of a prophet in town could bring with it many things, including judgment, or at least a warning thereof. Imagine their relief when, in response to their query of his purpose, Samuel says he's there to sacrifice, and would they give him the pleasure of joining him for it? And would they please be so kind as to include Jesse and his family as well? When time comes for the sacrifice, Samuel makes a beeline for Jesse's family upon their arrival, and the eldest son immediately catches the prophet's eye. He seems to be cut from the same cloth as Saul, tall and good-looking cloth. I've already had enough of tall, good-looking kings, though, and I am intent on the next one being chosen because of his heart rather than his height. So I pass on Jesse's tall first-born son, and his second, third, and fourth through seven. The fact that Saul looked like a king ended up being a liability. Both he and the people put too much trust in him and not enough trust in me. To lessen the likelihood of a repeat, I'm going with someone who's far from greatness of any kind, so that when he becomes a great king, it'll clearly be my doing, not his. Therefore I choose an unlikely youngster from Bethlehem to be the next human leader of my people. He's no business manager. No, the skills this young fellow's developed have to do with sheep, and with the boredom surrounding them, as will be seen shortly. I'm calling a shepherd to guide my people. But even his own dad doesn't think I have any business picking the runt of his litter for such a role. I couldn't possibly want the youngest one, who, owing to his location at the bottom of the familial food chain, is saddled with the least desirable task in the family's sphere of chores. That's who I want, though, and that's who Samuel anoints in the presence of his older and taller brothers, and that's whom my spirit comes mightily upon from that day forward. Say his name with me, David. At that same moment, that same spirit departs from Saul, Rendering him surly and open to the influence of a darker spirit which renders him even surlier, this is in 1 Samuel sixteen fourteen and following, if you're following music has had charms to soothe savage breasts long before Bill Congreve wrote about it, and one of Saul's servants recommends finding a decent lyre player to come in and calm the surly king's nerves with some timely tunes. Another servant just happens to know a lyre player from Bethlehem, and suddenly all the boredom David suffered as a shepherd pays off, because he spent years fooling around on a lyre out there in the field in between rare predator attacks and lesser perils brought on by the sheep's sheer stupidity. In addition, folks have noted David to be a fellow who minds his manners doesn't put up with nonsense, and has a good presence about him. He is immediately drafted and cast in the role of court lyrist. David dispatches himself well and grows in Saul's esteem as the shepherd boy plays just the right music at just the right time and utters nary a discouraging word. Saul's spirits are so lifted by David's playing, that the king promotes the boy to armor-bearer and asks Jesse to let his youngest remain in the king's service. David has become Saul's ever-ready, armor-bearing, stress-relieving jukebox. For those of you under the age of forty, a jukebox was a mechanical device found throughout the Western Hemisphere, largely in eating and drinking establishments. By inserting money Coined money, that is, into the jukebox, one could choose from a selection of songs to be played at will. Now, before we bring things in for a landing today, I want you to pedal all the way back to the front edge of your manual for a quick comparison. If you're not taking half a year to listen to this, you'll recall that the account of my getting everything started was so important, we tell the story twice at the beginning of Genesis. There's a play-by-play from verse 1 that runs through to chapter 2, verse 4. Then another version kicks in, telling the same story essentially, but from a different angle. We already went through how having two accounts telling the same story in their own way, side by side in my scriptures, is quite all right and no cause for panic, and certainly no indication that I don't know what I'm doing or that I am anything less than the extreme supreme ruler of all. So, neither should you be freaked out when I say, next time we are going to retell the story of David's entrance into Saul's and everyone else's awareness from a different angle as we turn the page to chapter 17 in 1 Samuel. Actually, I'm quite sure that those who would have been freaked out were and stopped downloading episodes entirely a long time ago. Just as the account of creation is so important, we tell it twice. David becomes so crucial, and the depth of his character so significant, we bring the boy in, post-anointing, that is, in two different ways to highlight different aspects of his role in the Abra plan. So until next time. Remember to listen, and like the old song says, trust and obey as best you can, and we'll walk together on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. You can find a link to our Patreon page there as well. We're sponsored by the Oak Haven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oleksandr Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Eicher designs our website graphics, kennyikerart.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way, and until next time, be good to yourself.